Tonight we're going to be in Isaiah 50, and uh, it's more Isaiah fun here. So uh, let's uh, bow in prayer, because I need it. Lord Jesus, we just ask you to be the teacher tonight. Your Holy Spirit, help us out here. And uh, we thank you for your word, and uh, there's uh, very much encouraging in here, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for it. We ask it in your name. Amen. I want to thank Renee for doing the announcements tonight. Always does a great job. And um, tonight we're going to be in chapter 50, as I said, and this is... um, the roller coaster thing that uh, Isaiah is always on, they're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad. And uh, there's, there's more bad tonight, but it usually finishes good. God is a good God and does not desert them. So we left off in 49 with that sort of thing and said, uh, I'll be your Redeemer, uh, the Mighty One of Jacob. And they start off in 50, and, they, and he points out their sin once again. So let's start in here in verse 1 and we'll go through thus says the Lord where is the certificate of your mother's divorce whom I have put away or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you for your iniquities you have sold yourselves and for your transgressions your mother has been put away Um, here we go again. We've got, we've got this transgression thing going in Israel. And God had such high hope for these people. He gave them the temple. He gave them the oracles of God. Um, he gave them the, the Holy Spirit and Shekinah glory. And they walk away from it time after time. So he is uh, confronting with them with that again. And he's talking about uh, their mother and... God says that Israel is his bride, is his wife. And it sounds like a divorce here, but we know it's not. God hates divorce, and, uh, but this is a separation. He is separating himself somewhat from Israel because of their iniquities. And uh, it says there um, in part of one here, I think it is, for your iniquities... Uh, you have sold yourselves. They put themselves in bondage because of their iniquity. Uh, when you've sold, that's your chattel, your slave. You sold yourself because of your iniquity. You're in slavery. And your transgressions, and for your transgressions, your mother has been put away. And this is a, a separation. This is not a divorce. But they lack provision. Their mother is, is gone uh, because God is, has separated from her because of their iniquity, Israel's iniquity. Um, What what are they doing? And all these things have been enumerated before. Idolatry, greed, violence, murder, harlotry. Um, It's all been reviewed, and uh, they're pretty good at it. And uh, it breaks God's heart. He was hoping for a pure nation, and uh, he gets idolaters and uh, greedy, violent men. So... He is brokenhearted over the whole thing. Um, And we start out again here, and it says, Why, when I came, there was no man? Why, when I called, there was no answer? Um, He has given them prophets. He will send his son as redeemer. And 
no fanfare for anybody. And it, remi it reminds me of what my mom used to say uh, about the Depression. When the paper boy would come to the door, they would hide. So bill collector would come to the door, they would hide. So, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to pay the bill. And uh, here's God knocking on the door. And I, I can picture them jumping behind the couch saying, it's God again, he's just got more regulations. We're, we're going to have to do more of this, this God stuff. And we, we don't like it. We like to party. And God's saying, you're already, you're already sold from your iniquity. You're already in slavery. Why don't you come back to me? And we can take care of this problem. But no, they, they continue to hide. And uh, Christ would go on to say, Oh, Jerusalem, where they killed the prophets. Um, you know, the prophet didn't, didn't have a long life expectancy. They would come... They would tell what God would want uh, out of Israel, and they would persecute them, and they would kill them. So God's efforts are, are falling on deaf ears here. And he says, I've sent you people, and there's nobody to greet them. Why, when I call, there's no one to answer. So it's um, you know, an empty reply to God. They, they don't want to be godly. And uh, like I say, they sent prophets, sent Jesus. Um, they had so many things, Shekinah glory, and they just, no, we, we don't want that. We want idols. We want greed. We want violence. Okay. And he goes on to say, Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dried up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I close the heavens with darkness or blackness and make sackcloth for their covering. And he's saying, I've, I've got a lot of power here. Didn't, don't you remember what I did in Egypt to those folks? They were the most powerful kingdom on earth. And I did ten plagues. And a few of them are enumerated here. And he says, I, I still have that power. I, I can do this for you, folks. It just, you just got to say, yes, you would like to have me do it. And I can, I can do it to your enemies. The Assyrians are at your door. And uh, I, I can help you out here if you just turn to me. But no, I come and, I, and, and nobody answers. So there are a few of the uh, plagues of uh, Egypt are defined here. And God says, yeah, I can, I can do this again. And the ones he talks about is... Uh, he dried up the sea. He dried up the waters. And we know that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and got away from the Egyptians that way. Um, when the ark was taken into the land of promise, into Canaan, the land of Canaan, um, the Jordan River stopped, and it was at flood stage. And the priests and a million-plus people walked across that riverbed on dry ground. So... He's good with water. He, he can move it around wherever he wants to. He's got a lot of power, and he did that for them. And he's saying, did you guys forget that? I, I can still do that kind of stuff. And um, he closed the heavens with blackness. Remember the plague of darkness? How dark was it? He said you could feel it. <laughs> that was a plague of darkness. You could feel it. I remember going down in the Ohio uh, caverns one time, and they turned out the lights. They said, everybody, everybody, just stay where you are. 
and they turned out the lights, and it was just like it, like a blanket. It just was over you. It was like you could feel it. And that's what he did uh, to the Egyptians, and he could exercise that power again for Israel if they would just come back to him. Um, what else did he say here? What else was he doing with these things? He rebuked uh, the sea, um, the rivers of the wilderness, talked about that. And he turned the Nile into blood, um, and that killed all the fish. And all the waters of Egypt became blood, and everything that was in the water died. And he said the fish did stink. He's got that kind of power. And the last one, the really big one that got uh, um, Pharaoh's attention, I, I can make them wear sackcloth overnight. It was the uh, plague of the firstborn, and... Uh, Pharaoh had a son, and he perished in that plague. So he has power over life and death with these plagues. And he's saying, it, it's at my disposal. I can, I can do this kind of stuff for you if you would just turn back to me. But what he does is he uses that kind of power with the Assyrians to come in and take them into captivity. So it's the old, uh, you know, I can do it for you guys or I can do it for them. Um, but they did not respond. They did not respond at all. So they will go into captivity. And the next section here, that finishes up verse 3, and the next section starting in uh, verse 4 in my Bible is called the uh, submissive servant. And uh, this is really a neat piece of scripture here. And um, we have these I don't want to call these messages. These, they're not so cryptic, but they are, they're blocks of information throughout about our Savior. And this is um, a description of what happened to Jesus on his way to the cross and on the cross. Um, he has this, what I want to say, this brilliant plan that he's putting in every book things about Jesus. So if you would lose Isaiah, you would be finding out about Jesus in Hosea. If you lost that, you would be finding out about Jesus in Malachi. He's got this information so broadband, so spread out, that you're always getting the message. So what a brilliant thing. And I don't know if all the synagogues had all the books. So he had to get a lot of information about Christ, the prophet, in these books so when they read them, they would, they would get these descriptions. And here's one, you know, that doesn't seem to follow with what we've been reading. And it, it just starts talking about this one that will come, this submissive servant. So let's check him out. And we all know who it is. Of course, it's Jesus, the Christ. And in 4 it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious. I did not turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me. And my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and spitting. Okay, let me read just one more here. For the Lord, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. 
Okay, we know these because we know the crucifixion of Christ. We know what he went through. But this is hundreds of years before. This is the prophecy concerning his passion. So here it is. Here's a heads up for the Israelites. They should, write, they should know this. They should be learning it. They should be looking for this individual. So when they see this kind of thing happening, they can say, man, that's the promised one coming to redeem us. So let's, let's talk about this submissive servant here. The Lord God has given me, given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. Um, Christ, when he was young, we don't know much about him. It doesn't talk much about his early life. But one thing that we do know that he was left at the temple. He was teaching at the temple. And they think he was about 12 years old. Maybe he was younger, maybe he was a little older. I don't know uh, for sure what it was. Uh, but he was in instructing the teachers on things of God. So he was learned. He had information. And I suppose, as a kid, he was reading the scrolls. He came from a godly home. He probably went to synagogue. He was learning this information. And, of course, he wrote it, too. <laughs> so that don't hurt. Um, so he was very learned, and he was teaching those in the synagogue at a very, very early age. And they marveled at his knowledge. So he had that starting out. And, you know, they should have been looking for somebody that was, was smart when he was young. Um, in a word, a word in a season to him who is weary. Um, that's, that's a neat thing. Isn't, isn't that Jesus talking to someone that is weary, helping somebody out? Uh, my dad had this comment about people that he really liked and said they're th salt of the earth kind of people because they have a kind word for everybody. And that was Jesus. Unless you were a Pharisee, he got down on those folks every now and then. But, uh, you know, the, the average guy that he was rubbing shoulders with, I'm sure he had a kind word for everybody, a word in season to, make, uh, to him who is weary. And uh, isn't that the way it is now with us? As we sojourn here, he's got a refreshing word for us. It's in here. It's right in here. And uh, so many scriptures... Um, are for our refreshing and for our peace. Um, and he started doing that right off the bat because he is a, a mild and concerned God. Okay. Um, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So he just continues to listen to God. He would go out in the morning and uh, pray, try to get alone with God, keep that fellowship up, learn more and more about his father as he walked in this world. They wanted to be tight. That's how he was going to keep his strength to go on with what he does in the rest of the scripture. So it says here, he awakens me, uh, he awakens me morning by morning. They had that refreshing every morning. And uh, what does it say in scripture? His uh, mercies are new every morning. Uh, if you have a rough night, you can't, you can't wait to get up and uh, start that day out. Let's, 
Let's try a new one on. Let's, let's go into a new one with new mercies, new grace. Let's start again. And uh, what a wonderful feature to be regenerated and be able to get up and start a new day. And that's the way Jesus did it with his Father. Uh, he was refreshed every morning. Okay, let's start in five here. And it says, God has opened my ear. And that's, that's got a couple of meanings here. And, and one of them is, well, they're both interesting. That He is always in communication with God. And God is telling him things. And this term, open my ear, has to do with uh, a slave condition um, called a doulos. And a doulos is a bondservant who signs on for the rest of his life because the master has been good. And there's a procedure in Exodus, Exodus 21, 1 through 6, that talks about this procedure. And if you were a Hebrew, you could buy another Hebrew that would indenture himself. And that went for six years. At the end of that time, if the master was good and the slave liked the situation, he could go to the master and say, I like, I like it here. I'm getting three squares a day, and, and, the, and the food's good, and uh, the work's not too rough. I, I kind of like to sign on for the rest. And there was a procedure for that. They would go down to the gate. They would talk to the judges to make sure everybody was on the same page. Do you really want to be a servant? Do you really want him as a servant? They would go through that. Yes, they, they're both in agreement. So they needed a sign to seal the deal to cement the whole relationship for this doulos, this bondservant, to go on and be a, a slave for life. So they would go to a doorpost, probably in the estate, and the owner would take an awl. You know what an awl is? It, it's a sharp-pointed stick or prong, and they would put them against the doorpost, and somewhere in the ear, I suppose it was the earlobe, and... Right through there, pierce, pierce his ear on a doorpost. Where have we heard this doorpost thing before? That was back in uh, Egypt, wasn't it? Back in Egypt, you put the blood on the doorpost. I wonder if any blood go on that doorpost when you uh, did that all thing. I bet so. I bet there was a little blood. I never, never had pierced ears. Does, does that hurt? Is that... My dad used to pierce ears at the uh, kitchen table. He had two big hypodermic needles, and he would take ice cubes. He would ice down the ears, and then, and sometimes it would pop. <laughs> Everything has a noise to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, nobody winced in pain, just too bad. So, you know, we have this we have this piercing of the ear on a doorpost. So we got some symbolic stuff going on here. And that made the person a doulos, a bondservant for life for this particular master. They liked the relationship. Okay, um, let's read on here a little bit about uh, Jesus in this prediction about what he would go through. Understanding that God opened his ear. Um, it's, it was called a piercing, it was called an an opening, it was also called a digging, uh, was a descriptive term for that opening. The process to open your ear was also called digging. So um, three things to visualize there to get, to get the point. 
No pun intended. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Right off the bat, here's Jesus saying, I'm not going to rebel. I am a bondservant to the Father. Nor did I turn away. I gave, me, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. Ooh, that one gets me. That one really gets me. Um, remember in the garden when Mary came in and she was looking for Jesus and the stone was rolled away and she went to this person who she thought was the gardener and said, where have they laid his body? Tell me, I'll, I'll go get it and I, I need to anoint the body. Where have they laid him? And she's talking right to Jesus, doesn't know it. She didn't recognize Jesus until he said, Mary. He, you know, and she recognized the voice and she was very happy. Rabbi, Rabbi, it's you, it's you. She didn't recognize him. Poor Jesus had his beard pulled out of his face and they put a bag over his head and they slugged him. So he, he probably was pretty marred and it says in scripture that he was marred worse than any man. And uh, at uh, Pilate's um, trial for Jesus, he said, I, I give you the man, the king of the Jews. He had to identify him as a man. So he was beat up pretty bad. And it says that when we look upon Jesus in heaven, we will look upon the lamb who was pierced. We will see a lamb that was slaughtered for us. So I think we're going to see Jesus in in some kind of glorified but mutilated body, so we appreciate what he did for us. I'm sure we're going to see the nail prints. Thomas saw the nail prints, wound in the side, feet, and I think we're going to see some scarring about the face and neck too. Uh, back's probably bad shape too. But we're going to see uh, the Lamb of God that was slain for us. We're going to see him as a slain lamb. And this pulling out of the beard, I, I, when I read that, I oh my. Um, I, I don't have a heavy beard whatsoever. But I have had a few bandages pulled off. And when the hair comes with it, it's not too neat. And I was raised with uh, three sisters. And uh, in an ever-constant battle against a unibrow, they would, they would pluck their eyebrows right here. And it didn't look like fun. It did not look like fun. But to have a handful of beard pulled out? Wow-wee. And it says, he, he offered his cheek to, to have that done. He did not turn away. He was not rebellious. He was the bondservant to the Father. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Um, he was certainly shamed at uh, the praetorium when uh, the soldiers had their way with him. They shamed him by calling him the king of the Jews. They knelt down before him. They put that purple robe on him. And they taunted him. And they, they spit on him. Um, not very comfortable. But did he shy away? Did he turn back? I think at this point, I would have been calling 12 legions of angels. Right, right now. Let's go see Pilate. Four or five of you guys, let's go see Pilate. Um, let, let's take these guys out. Jesus did not do that. Jesus went on with the process because he is a faithful bondservant. Okay. In seven, 
For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. And the setting of the face is hard determination. Very hard determination. And flint is a real hard stone. So... Uh, he set his face towards Jerusalem to go through the Passion, to go through the cross, to, to do it for our benefit. And he was on task with this flint face. I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking to the right. I'm going right down the middle. I'm going to Calvary. I'm getting a job done for you guys. Okay, here I go. And he did not, he did not turn away. His face was like flint. And uh, the term game face came to me. You know, they talk about football players, they're, they're getting excited for the, for the game, they're psyching up, and then they get to this point where it's time to level out and put on your game face and get ready for the game. Jesus put on his game face and went through with his, his martyrdom uh, to the point of uh, our, our salvation. And he said, I know that I will not be ashamed. He was tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He stood up under that. Um, he was ready to go. Had his game face on. Okay. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord will help me. Um, I think he's saying here, who will contend with me? Bring it on. We need to get this done. Uh, who is my adversary? Come on. We need to do this thing. We need to have this done for the benefit of my friends. Let's do this thing. Um, surely God will help me. On the cross, um, we know at a, at a point God forsaken him, did forsook him. And uh, that was the horribleness of the cross. But God strengthened him to go through all before that. Okay, who is it who will condemn me? Indeed, they will grow old like a garment. A moth will eat them up. So those that were instrumental in his death and his condemnation, um, they will go on to be judged. And it says it's, they're going to be like an old garment eaten up by moth. So that sounds pretty tame, but who wants to be in the hands of an angry God? Nobody. So those folks were instruments of God, but they were doing wrong things, and they will be judged for it. Okay, let's uh, get down here in verse 10. And my little heading here says, Listen to the voice of the servant, and always a good thing. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Um, who is it that trusts the Lord? Who obeys his voice? Um, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we've, we've done a lot of uh, factual stuff here. Um, what, what about obedience? How about this application now? How can, how can we be like Jesus? How can we do these things like Jesus did? Um, a connection with the Father. He was getting up every morning to be um, fed by the Father. 
He had close communion with the Father. Um, they were one. He committed himself to be a doulos. He committed himself by being pierced on the cross. That's where his piercing was. We don't know that Jesus had any kind of earring or, or piercing. His piercing was a hard piercing of the hands and of the feet and of the side. And that was the doulos piercing that he had. It was above and beyond. Um, so we're, we're not going to go to that extreme, I'm sure, and we're not called to do that by any means. But last night we had a discipleship class, and we were talking about obedience, and we were talking about the will of God. And uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, he wants us to do what's in Scripture, and it was boiled down in one particular verse, and it was Colossians, Colossians 3. And there was a list of negative things that we shouldn't do. And uh, it was put off anger, put off malice, put off blasphemy, um, and, a, and a few other ones. And those were the negative things that we need to get rid of to be in the will of God. You know, it's a simple thing. Just clean up your mouth and, and go from there. Become a little more holy in what the Holy Spirit's telling you. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And then there was a positive list. Just two verses down, and it said, put on tender mercies, put on love, um, put on good works, and put on love as the perf perfect bond, the bond of perfection, it said. So, these are the things that we can do to be obedient uh, in our walk with God, because he really doesn't expect us to go, go into anything like this, although some do, some go on to be martyred, and God strengthens them. Um, okay, it talks a little bit more about uh, trusting in the name of Christ and for those who walk in darkness. And I remember um, my years in darkness, and I did call on the name of Christ, and he was there with the light. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, and sometimes we struggle in darkness, even in our... Uh, rebirth, we have dark times. Call on Jesus. He's, he's the light of the world, and he will shed light on it for you. Okay, let's look at verse 11 here. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle themselves with sparks. Walk in the light of your, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks you have kindled. Um, I think he's talking about religion here. You know, a lot of people don't want God's light. They want their own light. They want to manufacture their own religion. And there are plenty of those in the world. Let's leave God out of this thing. I'll just do good works. I'll have my own way of doing it. And I'll be just fine. There are a lot of ways to get to Jesus, get to God. I, I can find it. I'm just, I'm just going to experiment. And I will find my own light. And uh, God is talking to those here that are generating their own light. Um, and he talks about the light of, their, of your fire and the sparks you have kindled. And I think this is just man's religion. And uh, it is not God's approach to man uh, because we have Christ that is the light of the world. He is giving light unto us. We are not making our own light. And uh, the last little portion here is, This you shall have from me when you kindle your own light, implied there. You shall lay, lay down, I shall lay you down in torment. 
So for those that think they can generate their own uh, way to God, uh, not so. Not so. Um, Jesus said there's only one way, and that is through him to go to the Father. Okay. Any questions on tonight's? Uh... Yes, Megan. Total human. I think I got that right. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, it says here that when they pulled out his beard, he did not even turn away. No, he was... He, even he turned his cheeks so they could pull out the other side. Amazing, isn't it? If anybody has ever been severely beaten, it's, it's almost like the human instinct to shield yourself mm-hmm. and to go into... And he didn't even do that. Yeah. So that's, that's my question is, is he, was he completely human? Yeah. He did not turn. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that John? He's also fully God. Also fully God. Oh. But, but also at this point, he wants his body to be broken. He wants it to be a sacrifice for us. He really does. And he has, he put on his steel face, he put on his flint face, Flint face to get this done, to have this done. And he prayed in the garden that there would be another way, that there would be a less painful way to have this done. And the Father said, this, this is what it's going to take. And Christ, as a faithful servant, said, okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And it was brutal. So he was like part God, part human. Uh, 100% God, 100% human. It's a tough one. It's a faith. It's a faith issue. I I don't fully get it myself. It's a, John gets it. But but well, the exciting part is that he did it for the joy that was set before him, and that was us. At that point, he did it. Right. For you. Right. He did it for you. He loves you. That's why he did it. He loves me. He loved me so much that he had his beard pulled out. Yeah, and that's uh, wow. He gave his life. He gave his life to pick it up again. So, here in, the, here in Isaiah, in obscure chapter 50, we have the passion of Christ. And prophetically, so, you know, if, if the Jew standing by would have known their scriptures and seen him and understood the doulos uh, concept and put together, you know, the all and the blood and the wood. They just said, wow. They'd been like the Roman centurion. They said, wow, this truly was the Son of God. This truly was the Son of God. Any other comments, questions? Time. Hi. (laughs) Okay. I think that we will uh, just pray because the timekeeper said pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for what you did for us, Lord. You did not chicken out. And truly, you looked at this before the foundation of the world. You saw this coming, you know, eons before it actually did, and you did not chicken out, Lord. You went right for it for us. We thank you so much for that. Lord, we we thank you for 
putting it in Isaiah, rehearsing it, rehearsing it, rehearsing it, so we could see it again and again and again and understand it even better when it, when it came time, when we see it in the Gospels, Lord. Um, Lord, thanks for the folks here tonight. Be with James and his family. Just give them a great time refreshing. And uh, we say you're fabulous, God, and bring us back together on Sunday. Amen. Have a great night, folks.